for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Everyone's back from the hunt. Filling the closest chair with a plate of chow, and that Coleman lantern's glowing with that comforting low exhale sound of compressed air. And that's when it all starts. The stories of the day and the days past, the ribbing, the fun-loving jabs, laughing so hard it hurts to breathe. Yep, this, my friends, is the heart and soul of Elk Camp. So guys and gals, our goal here at Elk Bros is to make you feel like you're right here with us, part of our conversation, part of our camp. So that's why in today's episode, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to let Gilbert do what he does best, tell a couple of stories his way. So if you like hearing Gilbert's stories, do us a favor and send us an email that says either more Ornellis Unleashed or less Ornellis Unleashed. And you can send that email to info at elkbros.com. We really want you to kind of be privy and uh, enjoy some of these moments and some of these times. But we want to find out if that's what you want. I, I tell you what, it sure makes for a great time for us. We want to see if it does just the same for you. So in today's show, the Elk Bro shout-outs up first, then Ornellis Unleashed. And then we're going to go to our Elk Bros mailbox and answer some of the great questions, more of those great questions by some of our viewers. So, my friends, pull up a chair, turn your volume up just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. <laughs> Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk, and they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Good 
Hello again, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And for those blue collar hunters out there following our show, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of the show, coming to you from Spring, Texas, and joining me from New Mexico, your elk hunting coach, Joe Gillia. Where's Chab, Joe? <laughs> that booger's on vacation, man. <laughs> Always on vacation. Always my hero. on vacation. Hey, you guys Chab, are my man. heroes. We know you're going to be checking us out, Chab. So hello there, bud. I hope you're having a good time, man. Yeah. Be safe out there, Chab. Don't take no wooden nickels from nobody. <laughs> All right, Joe. First things first. Yep. And uh, you know what time it is. It's time for our Elk Bro shout outs. Shout out time. Shout out time. If you're new to our show, these are just the shout-outs to just a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week. Yeah, and we're going to have a first this week, so you guys get ready for that. Um, so, topping the chart this week, it's Fred Astaire's hometown. And I might be dating myself now. There might be some of you guys going, who the heck is Fred Astaire, man? <laughs> but you go back to some of them black-and-white movies, man, when talent was talent, when people had to sing and dance. Fred Astaire was the man. So Absolutely. it was Fred Astaire's hometown. Johnny Carson got his start here. And I get this. If this isn't a connection, Marlon Brando's mom, Jocelyn Brando, gave acting lessons to another famous Nebraskan actor, Henry Fonda, here at the local community playhouse. And believe it or not, <laughs> it is still illegal for barbers to shave a man's chest here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha, Nebraska, man, leading the charge. But that's awesome. Next up, incorporated in 1992. It's one of Colorado's newest towns with its history and beginnings primarily as a stage stop and is now a perfect jumping off point for hiking, backpacking in Colorado's largest wilderness area, the Wimanuchi Wilderness in South Fork, Colorado. South Fork, Colorado, not too far from where I am right now, man. No so doubt. a beautiful place up there. Up next, still known as a borough. And I had to look up what a borough was, man, because it's actually a British term, a borough, right? <laughs> this town sits halfway between Philadelphia and Baltimore and is home to an iconic 187-year-old hotel affectionately called the Oak. <laughs> so... For many years, man, we're talking for a long time, the only letters on the giant marquee outside the hotel that were actually lit up were the O, the T, and the E in hotel. So, oh, wow. So the nickname the stuck, man. They just started calling it go down to the oak. <laughs> <laughs> Oxford, Pennsylvania. Oxford, Oxford Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania in the house. Yes, sir. That's How too cool. cool. That? Too cool. Well, Joe, this is a definite first for us, but it is the second largest city in Manitoba, a province in the prairies of Canada. Yeah. And this area was first inhibited by the bands of Native Americans that except for the Sioux, uh, most are known. Uh, to not many, even known. They're not, not even known, known for mm -hmm. sure, to, to many in the lower 48. Right. The Bungays, the Birdtails, and the Yellow Quills a big shout out to our northern neighbors of Brandon, Manitoba. Hey, Brandon, man. Uh, guys, big shout out to you guys, man. Hey. Uh, 
we we get so many listeners from Canada, and it was so cool that we got all those listeners from that area. And you know, when we saw that the bungays, bird tails, and the yellow quills, you know, uh, God, there's so many tribes throughout North America that a lot of us don't know about, and it's really cool to hear the the history on that. So. Uh, okay, last but not least, Gilbert. So we're gonna we're gonna check you out, man. Because uh, I don't know if you're gonna get this place. There ain't no oil field. <laughs> there might be some drilling, and I'm not gonna give you too much of a hint there. So that that might get it there. But see if you can guess what it is. And you guys, listeners out there, I'm gonna give these uh these hints. See if you can guess. First hint: the only U.S. city to be founded by a woman. The only U.S. City, city to be founded by a woman. Yep. Mm. Nothing there, right? Okay. Mm. It has the largest concentration of international banks in the U.S. And now I know a Texas boy, you're going Dallas, Houston, wow. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> mm. yeah. the international banks. Mm. International banks. The largest concentration in this metro area in the U.S. Wow. Wow. Nothing? And moving on, the mm-hmm. first suntan lotion, and I don't know if you can name it. Remember, there was a, a little girl with a dog pulling on the, the bathing suit yeah, yeah, back yeah. there. Do you remember the name of that, that suntan lotion? N- new, uh, huh? <laughs> I can see the dog pulling the little girl's pants down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and all she had dark a little and tan line. Mm-hmm. Yep. The first suntan lotion, Copper Tone, mm-hmm. That's right. was Copper invented tone. here. Really? Yep. First suntan lotion, copper tone was invented here. We got nothing yet, huh? Uh, Okay. Mm. The only one I could think of is Miami. Miami, Florida. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Bingo. You know, Miami is such a melting pot, you know. uh, Down there in Florida, and there is a little oil field down there, but not a whole lot. I was like, well, offshore maybe or something like that, you know. In fact, the last two hints I was going to give you was the next one was a lot of gold and silver has been found on and offshore by people who visit here. It's believed that pirates such as Blackbeard and Gasparilla left many treasures buried there. So there are still people finding stuff from that offshore and on the actual beach. That's too cool. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh the the real coup de gras that I was going to tell you is the ethnic makeup the of the city is thirty four point one Cuban nineteen point two African American five point seven Nicaraguan five point five Haitian and three point three Honduran so wow. I think yeah 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 it's a true international melting pot man it really really is really is man well joe um you had said that uh you had something special for us today that's yeah that's right gilbert i i I do man and uh i want our listeners to know that we're gonna we're gonna go through something right here now and uh we're gonna head to our elk elk bros mailbox here in a couple minutes but we have something special in store and and this actually this came to mind for me last week and um last week we had a great question from uh chad hashen and uh that that we talked about and his question was i know you guys are talking elk but i was wondering if you have any information to share on bears or mountain lions even if you don't hunt them 
have you had encounters with predators while closing in on a herd of elk? I, I have heard stories of cats stalking archery hunters while the hunters have been stalking elk. I thought you guys might be able to share some good stories or offer some insight into that part of archery elk hunting too. So, you know, Chad was asking for some good stories, Gilbert, and uh, <laughs> and it really got me to thinking about the whole purpose of elk bros. And, and what that is, is our goal is for all of our listeners, for all you guys out there to feel like you're right here. We call it our elk camp and we want you to feel like you're right here with, with, with us in our elk camp. And to me, some of the best times in our elk camp are, are the stories. And really the best time to me in those stories is when, Gilbert Ornelas is telling some of our stories, man, because, you know, um, we all like to tell our stories and we all tell them and you'll hear them all the time in different situations. But guys, you're in for a treat because Gilbert, what I, last week when we first brought up the predators and we were talking about bears and there was a couple of times I cut you off because of time. Right. And, uh, uh, man, I saw you chomping at the bit and, Today, man, uh, like I, I'm going to name this uh, Ornelas Unleashed because <laughs> <laughs> I can get off the rails, brother. I can tell you, it, it, it's time. It's story time, bud. And uh, so mm-hmm. let's let's share some of the stories. And uh, you know, when we think about predators and some of the stories, and and we're going to bring in some of our buddies. You know, Chav's not here, and I'm sure we got one on that. And and well, I'm I'm going to let the man who talks talk. Tell us about a bear story. Well, I, you know, I can only talk about my first encounter with a black bear in, in New Mexico. Um, <clears throat> it was an afternoon, and I'm going to tell you guys, you know, when I first showed up to New Mexico, I was about 325 pounds in my first elk hunt. That was in your underwear. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm, I'm going to tell, tell you what, it was tough on me because I, I couldn't really walk a long ways. And I'm telling you guys, that stuff is uphill both ways. Uh, coming and going and at that time we walked out of camp we didn't use many four-wheelers or anything like that so I was with the late great Carl Gamage God rest his soul Um, he decided that that afternoon it was best to take me in the truck and haul me as far as he could and and uh, we went up to a, a, a undisclosed place that I won't talk about <laughs> that's over a water hole and it's a blind <clears throat> And Carl, he probably had to wait on me five times to crawl up that side of that mountain to get to that water hole. But he knew that those elk were going to be in there in the afternoon. And uh, they come in there and water and everything else. Well, what he didn't tell me when we showed up, the blind was kind of tore up. And uh, (laughs) I was like, well, man, (laughs) what tore the blind up? And he goes, oh, I don't know. He just, he didn't want to tell me because he knew I'd been like, Let's get my butt back down the other side of this mountain. I don't want to have nothing to do with whatever that was that tore that blind up, right? So he just said, oh, you know, they get curious and come over here and this, that, and the other. He didn't say much about it. He put all this stuff in the blind, and he put me in the blind. and We sat there, and he began to read in the magazine. And about 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we hear a bull bugle up above us. And he, he looked over at me, and he goes, They'll be here in just a few minutes. I said, okay. So I started getting my stuff ready and whatnot. (laughs) And I look up and coming down that trail, and he told me they'd be coming down this trail. Coming down that trail, I see something big and black. And I'm like, 
that don't look like an elk. That looks like, I thought it was like a big black bull, you know, uh-huh. walking down the, the trail. And I'm looking at that sucker and I'm like, I look over at Carl, he ain't looking. He's just down looking at his magazine. And I went, <laughs> hey, I said, hey, and I touched him, you know, and he looked over at me. And goes, I said, what is that? He looked up at me and he goes, oh, shit. <laughs> and I went, what What do you mean? He goes, well, you, you know what I told you that was messing with the blind? <laughs> I said, yeah. He goes, yeah, that's what's meant messing with the blind. <laughs> Oh my God. And he is on a beeline, Joe, straight for the blind, right? I'm talking, I know my eyes were that big around. And he's just sauntering on up there, man. He ain't got a care in the world. And it is a big bear. And no, I did not have a tag, but I really wasn't worried about having the tag, Joe. So I'm going to tell you straight up, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. And folks, folks at home, I'm just going to tell you right now, when you are in the presence of something that can eat you, shit changes in your mind. I promise you, you want out of that blind because we're (laughs) sitting duck, right? I've never been around these giant critters, man. He comes walking up and he's every bit of six foot tall, man. He comes walking up to the blind, goes right by the pond. I'm thinking, well, maybe he's going to stick his lips in the water and get him a drink. Oh no. (laughs) Comes straight for the blind. (laughs) So Carl, in his infinite wisdom, he's, you know, got me kind of sitting there. I got my bow up and he's like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't shoot that bear. You don't have a tag. And I'm like, I'm really, I'm thinking to myself, I really don't give a damn if I got a tag. I don't want this bear in this blind with me. So the bear gets right up to the blind and he's trying to look at it. I know he's, he's got to smell us. Right. 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 Maybe he smelled the granola bar that Carl (laughs) was eating five minutes before then. Maybe he smelled the water we had in there. I mean, I have no clue, but he was very curious. And I'm telling you, his head looked like truck tire. I mean, it was humongous, like an 18 wheeler tire. He comes sauntering on up to the blind and he sticks his head right to the corner of the door of the blind. And you can hear, I'm telling you, you can hear him going. And he's sniffing. He, he kind of grunts like that. And he puts his nose right on the blind. And I drew my bow. When I drew my bow, Carl's like, no, 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 don't shoot him. He goes, he will shred this blind and kill us both. I'm thinking, oh my God. I, I'm serious, people. I am just about ready to freak out and lose my mind. I'm at full draw, and Carl takes his hand, and Carl had a pretty good sized paw, man. This is a DI drill sergeant. Ain't scared of Jack, right? He takes his hand and he backhands that bear in the nose <laughs> through the blind, and that bear does a double backflip. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and when he backflips, he gets his rear paw hung between this log that's over that's overturned and he goes to biting his own leg like somebody's got a hold of him i'm telling you man i'm at full drawn the bear takes off running up the hill goes past the pond and he's about 60 yards away and he stands up on all fours and he's looking at me and carl in that blind like what in the hell was that right and carl goes hey big old 
you can shoot him now. And I'm like, bullshit, I'm ready to go. Let's go, Carl. I said, I don't want to stay here no more, man. He said, oh, you big baby. He said, he's just a bear. He's just like a big raccoon. I said, oh, no, Carl, that's way bigger than a raccoon. And I'm telling you, we were like dinner here, you know. So, guys, let me tell you, bears are very curious. And if they see a blind or you've made something, and it, you know, I tell people all the time, when you come in your home, and somebody has moved your furniture around, you immediately know it. So when you come in their home and you put something up like that, they know exactly what's out of place. Oh, they don't, they don't like that being there, man. I mean, they ripped up a number of blinds. <laughs> man, I'm telling you. And we were inside it, so I didn't want that going on, Joe. Right? I mean, uh, I, I, that's just one of many bear well, stories you, that I have, right? You know, uh, uh, we we talk about Carl all the time, and uh, my brother. Yes, sir. And for you, you listeners out there, you need to understand that uh, Carl was a very special person in in our lives. I I knew Carl I, for a long time. I I coached both his kids, and we had a relationship that uh, went you know beyond hunting. And uh, when it came to hunting, and when it came to Carl. I tell you what, there was no other person. Uh, if Carl said he had your back, he had your back, and one hundred percent, he was somebody to ride the river with. And and we we lost Carl um, some years ago, <clears throat> and that's one reason that this Elk Bros group is together. Because after Carl had passed, a bunch of us that had hunted together with Carl said that we were going to continue to be together um, in at Elk Camp. And uh, so our, our, our brother uh, has never, uh, he lives, he lives through all of us and he lives through the stories. He lives what, you know, the stories that Gilbert tells, that I tell, that RC tells, and uh, that uh, the Chab tells. And so w- we need you to know that he is a, he is a ring that binds all of us and uh, was quite the character, man. I oh mean, you're going to hear stories and we're going to tell stories on some, on some oh, of we our, can't tell. <laughs> some, on some, and there's some, yeah, there's some that uh, we can only unleash so far because, uh, yeah, he was a bird. And I mean, he was a cat bird, this fella. In fact, uh, Gilbert, what I want you to do just for, for this time so people can kind of get an idea about this is, you know, uh, I know you have a story about the first time you ever, you, you didn't necessarily meet him in person, but uh, tell us the story about how you got to know Carl Gamage, first of all. Yeah, um, you know, like you said, Joe, Carl's the, he's the binder of this group, right? Without him, we would never have met That's at correct. all. Yeah. Uh, right. And truthfully, <clears throat> This is really weird how this goes. My brother-in-law, who's now not married to my sister anymore, but he's my ex-brother-in-law, but he'll always be my brother-in-law. His name is Matt Schneider. Uh, He's married to a young lady uh, that carries the name of Barty. And Terry Barty is my taxidermist. And Terry Barty is one of the finest taxidermists in the city, Houston, Crosby, surrounding areas, just museum quality work, right? Mm-hmm. So at the time, I was hunting all over the country and taking clients, 20 or 30 of them at a time. And 
I was going to turn 40 years old and I really wanted an elk hunt with my bow. I'd seen it on TV and you know, I, I, I'm a pretty decent shot with a bow and I figured, well, if I could get me <laughs> within 50 to 70 yards of this animal, I'm going to be able to crush it. Right. <laughs> well, little did I know there ain't no damn air up there. Somebody sucked it all up before I got there. Terry Barty gave me the number. He said, look, you want a real elk hunt? I said, absolutely. I want one in the mountains where, you know, I'm going to stay. Uh, I don't, it don't have to be in a lodge. I can hunt in a tent. He said, only one guy to talk to. He said, his name is Carl Gamage. He has custom hunting services out of Angel Fire, New Mexico. This was a Texas boy who defected and went to the mountains in New Mexico. He found God. <laughs> he did 100% in more yes, ways sir. than one, Joe. Yep. Terry Barty told me, if you want the real deal, you need to call Carl Gamage. So I did. And when uh, I called him on the phone, <laughs> Carl's a drill instructor. So, uh, a dr you know, drill sergeant, this guy pushed troops, right. And, uh, man, they, they were his project. Mm -hmm. So this guy's real gruff, rough around the edges, but kind of soft in the middle. We kind of softened him up a little bit. I like <laughs> to say, uh, through some time and some, some dip, some definite prayer. Right. But Carl Gamage, uh, he gave me everything I asked for and then some, but when he answered the phone, he said, hello, <laughs> he's real gruff. I said, this is Gilbert Ornelas. I said, uh, Terry Barty gave me your number and said that you might have an elk hunt. I said, I want to come bow hunt elk. He goes, huh? Hell you say. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. I said, uh, I'd like to come bow hunt. He goes, hell yeah. Everybody else would too, but ain't nobody killing them up here with a bow. I said, oh, really? He goes, oh, I'll, 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 we'll talk about it, he said, but I'm telling you, it's hard as hell up here, he said. He said, uh, you're a bow hunter? I said, yeah. I said, uh, you know, what kind of money? He goes, well, wait a minute. We ain't going to talk about money. He said, we're going to talk about uh, if you're qualified to come up here and hunt with me. And I'm like, qualified? Man, if I got my money green as everybody's, you know. And he said, uh, no, he said, uh, I'm going to tell you right now. He said, this is tough hunting up here. He said, uh, you know, not just everybody can come up here. He said, I'm, where are you from? I said, Houston, Texas. Oh, God. He said, another Texas boy. He said, well, I got to tell you, I got a soft spot in my heart for them Texas boys. He goes, I were one at one time. I said, oh, is that right? So we got to talking and everything. He said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, here's how much the money is. He said, if you don't send me no money, you ain't coming on a hunt. I said, okay. I said, he said, and you got to sign all your paperwork first. I said, all right. So he mailed me, not emailed, not texted me. He mailed me, U.S. mail, uh, all of my paperwork. And I had to mail it back, not email, uh, not none of that. Uh-uh. You had to mail it back to him and, and with your check. And when he got the check, he called me uh, the next day that he got it. And he said, okay, you got the hunt contract. He said, I'm going to put you in for the draw. If you draw good, if you don't, I got a, a private land tag. I said, okay, fine. So, you know, we got everything uh, sewed up. And he said, uh, he told me what I needed to do to get ready for an elk hunt in high altitude. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, you got a Walmart by you? I said, yes, sir. He said, go to Walmart and get one of them Walmart bags and put it over your head and tie a knot in it down there and then poke one little hole through the bottom of it and go run around the block. 
<laughs> said, if you don't pass out and you don't die, you can be ready to come up here and hunt. <laughs> You'll be ready. <laughs> I said, I don't know if it's true, but I tried it and you can't do it. I'm going to tell you right now, you will pass out. And my wife said, you are not going out there looking like that. I said, well, that man said that I got to put a bag over my head and go around it. Man, I'm telling you, Joe, I tried all of that. Right? But it didn't matter. What I didn't understand was that he was trying to tell me I needed to lose about 75 pounds, 80 pounds, and then I might be able to walk with him. And that, that boy was, rolling at the camp going, you know that boy, he done did what I said. <laughs> well, <I'm>, dummy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude. If Carl Gammons told me to stand on my head and cluck like a chicken uh, for 25 minutes, I'd kill a bull elk. I promise you I'd have done it, Joe. That's how bad I wanted to kill one. <laughs> he was and a character, he, wasn't he? He was the best. I mean, salt to the earth. And if he told you a jackrabbit and pull a freight train, you better hook it up, son. Yeah, said, right. It's just the kind of guy he was. He was no bull crap about him at all. And and I hope I'm not offending anybody out there. I'm, you know, I've, I've let a few little cuss words fly, but this is Ornelas Unleashed. And I promise <laughs> you, I have toned it down some. So if you're in elk camp with me, don't wear your feelings on your sleeve. That's so, and so everybody knows basically, you know, uh, because when we talk about blue collar elk hunting and, and, I have nothing wrong with people using guides for when they come out. And a lot of people that, you know, again, I, I've worked with people of all income levels and, yeah. and, uh, you know, you guys did something so that you could learn about elk hunting and then you have continued to hunt with me. And it's become something that has, has continued from that. And the, the well, brother don't know the story. People don't know the backstory about why you were doing what you were doing either, Joe. Yeah. And I won't, I won't allude to that at all because I know that was something that you wanted to keep to yourself as well. And uh, what people don't understand is if it wasn't for guys like Joe Gillia and Carl Gamage, the world would be a much duller place. I'm going to tell you that right now. They did so many things to help so many people. When I came home after meeting these guys the first time, I met them for the first time and it was amazing. It was a kindred spirit. Uh, being on that mountain with these guys. I mean, I spent seven days with them, right? With you and Carl and RC and uh, Kent Miller. And uh, I forget who else was there at that time. Uh, you know, those guys, all of y'all were such kindred spirits. And I told my wife when I came home, I said, I'm going to do this every year until I'm dead because of what these guys stand for and why they're doing it. And most people don't understand that there was a backstory to all of this to help other people, not right. just monetary for Carl, not just monetary for Joe, because it wasn't for Joe. Uh, Joe actually did a lot of this pro bono for Carl. And there were some, some things and reasons why uh, we won't, won't talk about that. But I just tell you, it was to help a whole bunch of other people that were less fortunate. And it, it touched me. It touched my wife. It touched our families. Uh, and to this day, uh, you know, we feel, um, privileged and blessed to be part of something like that and to be able to help, uh, touch some lives. Right. And, uh, that's one of these things. One of the reasons why Joe has come up with elk bros is to reach out and touch people. Y'all are going to learn something about me. Not only am I a big personality and love to talk and tell stories, but I'm real soft in the middle too. Yeah. 
Hmm. I got a kind heart for people and I love folks, right? And helping people. I mean, if we can't, if we're not helping people on this earth, Joe, what are we here for? That's right? exactly right. You know, and I, I've always felt that, you know, if we don't leave this world a little bit better place than what we found it, then we ain't worth our salt, right? So, uh, yeah, that's, right. that's exactly right. So and I'm going to tell you right now, brother, you got, you got a big crown waiting for you in heaven because well, you really don't understand what, what you've done for people, you know, and for not just for me, but for thousands of other families and people. It was an um, unbelievable blessing to be part of. And I'm just so honored to be able to carry on that tradition that Carl, yourself, and all them boys have, have carried forth. Yes, sir. And, and all right. So well, with that in mind, you got to actually be extended in, in, into some of my family with Chav. And yes. uh, you got to know uh, Chav, my brother. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's just real important for me that he means a lot in my life, that he'd be a part of, a part of what we do. And, and, uh, and you, you actually have another story about a bear that includes Chav. Just, this was just this last season, right? It was amazing. Um, look, Chav's like my brother, right? My older brother. And, yep. <clears throat> you know, Joe's been so kind to me for, first of all, teaching me and, and letting me hunt with him. And then I think he gave me the, the unbelievable opportunity to be able to hunt with his, with his brother-in-law, you know, with his brother. And <clears throat> while Joe's been guiding some other guys, I get to hunt with Chav and, you know, we get to hunt together and call bulls. And first bull I ever called in by myself, I had, I called for Chav. And it, it was the, it's kind of the rite of passage for me, right? Sure. Uh, when Chav says it's going on, he's been with you a million times, so he knows we're doing the right thing, right? Right. So I, when I got his approval, it was amazing. So last year, everybody's heard the story about how many bulls we had 12 feet from us and everything. And I knocked this bull down at like 60 yards. He went about 40 yards and piled up. Well, we, we bail out of there and go back to camp. And, and look, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, you know, the mafia, the Venezuelan mafia, they'll tell you that there's, you know, you don't mess with the rules of Beto, and they call me Beto. So, uh, <laughs> one of my rules is a two-hour deal, right? Uh, a lot of guys will go in there 45 minutes after, hour and a half to two hours for me, we're going to sit and eat, and then we'll go look for him he's just a big critter and I've been burned on these deer and hogs and stuff like that. Um, so we're just going to give him two hours. So we heard the bull fall and gurgling and, and Chav looked at me and he goes, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, it's dark. We we're going back to camp, go get help. I, I guarantee that bull's dead. So we went back to camp, got everybody. Yeah. We all gathered the troops, gathered the troops and everybody helps out. And the, all these guys you can ride the river with cause they'll, they'll knock out a morning hunt and to help, to help you come get your stuff. And everybody will do that, right? Well, many so, hands make light work, right? No doubt. So mm-hmm. we got it all in one trip. I mean, it was crazy. Some of us made two, and it sure as hell wasn't me, Chad. <laughs> a couple other guys made two trips. I mean, just can't, can't say enough about that crew. But the next day, uh, everybody slept in. I ended up making breakfast and everything. We had a good morning. Uh, a lot of those guys went out that were still hunting. Uh, Chav and I, I left my hat up there by the carcass. And this is a hat that I've killed a lot of elk in. So I was, it's a two mile hike back over there and it's not an easy hike by no means. So Chav and I decided, well, 
I didn't even take a bow with me or anything. I took my, my bugle tube and I took my, uh, <laughs> my diaphragm. And Chav didn't even have a stick in his hand. He just, we're just easing up through the woods and whatnot. And we get up there to where my, <clears throat> to where my carcass is. And we're looking around. Well, I don't know if you guys, I'm, I'm going to show you, I'm going to have to stand up and everything. Go ahead. Go for it, bro. Back. So <clears throat> we get up there by where, by where the carcass is. And we're just now coming up and I, <laughs> it was crazy. I heard something to our left and I couldn't tell what it was. It sounded like a hog grunting. And I'm like, man, well, I know there's not any pigs way up here or anything. So <clears throat> I turned to the left and it was right by the carcass. I turned to the left and I'm telling you right now, a giant, freaking giant chocolate black bear come walking up the trail and poked his head out from around the side of a big uh, group of aspen trees. And he is looking dead at me and Chab. Okay. He's 15 yards from us. All right. And I, I, we just, we're standing in the wide open naked as a jaybird, man. And I know I'm grinning like a jackass eating cactus looking at this bear, right? I'm like, oh my God, does, I wonder if he sees me. Well, hell yeah, he sees me. This bear gets up on his hind legs and looks at me and Chab. And I look at Chab and Chab goes, don't move. And I'm like, Oh my God, what are we going to, this bear is, I mean, face to face with us, Joe. (laughs) Before you say that, people got to understand Gilbert is what? Six, one, you know, two, two, two eighty five at the time. Yeah. At the time. Chav is five foot seven, 150 pounds, right? (laughs) Yeah. My left leg weighs more than that, Joe. Okay. (laughs) At, At the end of the day, Chav goes, he goes, don't move. I said, I'm not moving. You know, I'm looking at this bear and he's got his head cocked like this and he's looking at us and everything. And he slams his front feet back on the ground and goes, oh, like that. Well, that was it. Chav stands up, Joe, and he goes, hey, bear, hey, bear, hey, bear, hey, bear, hey, bear. <laughs> and he goes, damn it, do that, do that, do that, just like that. And I'm like, oh, my God. Hey, bear, hey, bear, hey, bear, hey, bear. We start around like we're crazy as hell right and that bear he stands back up and looks at us and gets all kind of discombobulated and takes off running back the way he came thank you jesus oh my lord have mercy joe that bear was gonna eat both of us we were right next to his big food pile and i mean look he'd already halfway cleaned that food pile up i mean the bones was lit clean okay so he was coming back for his afternoon snack or whatever and we just happened to be 15 yards from him. and when he bluff charged us whoa, like that oh i'm telling you I almost clean passed out joe i did not have i had my bugle tube and the dadgum diaphragm man that was it so let me tell you something people ain't never going back up on the mountain without something i don't care if it's a big stick or uh, something, right? I felt n- naked, Joe. I really thought that bear was going to eat us. But if if Chav wouldn't have went, hey bear, hey bear, hey bear, throwing his arms up in the air, throwing his arms up and stomping around like he was a, you know, a Sasquatch. That's what we were doing. Hey bear, hey bear. I'm telling you, man. I tell that story and people just lose their mind laughing at me. You know, I'm like, I'm telling you, 
He got mad at me. I wasn't doing it. Oh, come on, damn it. Do that. Do that. I'm like, Stab don't cuss. Okay? I'm telling you right now, brother, he, he cussed at me. Damn it. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I would have done anything to keep that pair of meat in our ass. I'm telling you, straight up. Though, uh, I have had some times with them bears up there. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh that's man. just freaking awesome, man. more stories of them bears. I'm telling you, we can, yeah. keep, we can keep telling them, but yeah. they are the wildest critter. Yeah, they are I something else, been, man. The more I encounter them, the less the less scared I am of them because I think they're just big, curious animals. Well, and, and you know, it. I don't know if you, uh, I think a lot of people saw today um, where a bull buffalo attacked a, a, a nine-year-old girl out there on Yellowstone. And what what can look like a solvent, relaxed situation mm-hmm. can get Western and go wrong incredibly fast. And what most people do not understand is, I don't know if you have ever worked on cutting up a bear and oh, yeah. seeing the muscles on the jaw of that critter, Ooh. but that animal, if it decides to lock into you, if it decides that it wants to kill you, yeah, you, my friend, are in trouble. big trouble. Yeah. So, uh, dude, apex predator, man. I yeah, mean, well, yeah, man. It, line, there ain't nothing there that's predating on them <laughs> except each other, right? Right. And, uh, when we ain't got a weapon, man, I'm telling you, you feel a hell of a lot like Goliath, you know? And, yeah. and Dan, I mean, seriously, you know, you, you got a little razor and a stick with a bow, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and the Indians killed a lot of them, I'm sure, with, but I bet you a lot of them Indians got killed. You know, yeah, I, you know, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, and I just want people to understand: do not mistake their pace. Um, yes. You know, you watch one of them animals, and they look like they are just kind of real relaxed and slow and nonchalant. Do not mistake that pace for what they can do in a matter of ten seconds. So, oh uh, you've got to be ready, and you got to be prepared. And and what Chab did there was he wanted to make sure that that bear was not surprised being close up on you. He yeah. wanted to make sure that he made as much noise and let his presence be known, got as big as possible, and then got the guy, the biggest thing in the woods next to him to be big too. And, oh. and, and I hope some of you guys are listening to this and learn from that. You know, you don't want to stay quiet and then have that bear get on top of you and get surprised because when they get surprised, it's kind of like, I don't know if Fight you've ever flight. come up behind your mama sometimes oh, surprise yeah. her when you were a kid and get the <laughs> you know, snot slapped out of you because oh, you scare yeah. her so bad. And, you know, that bear's got, you know, got a handful of claws and it's got powerful jaws. So, you know, that's, that's uh, what you guys did. And, and I, I hope you guys enjoyed that story. We're going to tell more stories. You're going oh, to yeah. see. Got you're seven see. more bear stories for sure. And <laughs> and I've been in them to... woods a, a many days and I'm telling you, there's a lot of bears. People just don't understand how many that are there. Oh, I know. Most and... of you don't see them because they see you or smell you before they get there. And, and I really think they're a little more. Uh, cautious of you than you are of them, unless it's a sow with cubs. And oh, I've yeah. been in those and situations. Especially in the wild woods. You, like I said, you get into a town, it's a different story because yeah. they've mm-hmm. lost some of that. But they are scared of you. And, and I've never had one, uh, a black bear, um, actually ever come in when I'm on an animal, working an animal or anything. Like, I've never had anything like that. They they don't want to be in that situation. They're going to stay clear of it. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed that little session. And, and anytime you see 
um, or Nellis Unleashed, we're, we're, we're going to do just that. We're going we're gonna to let Gilbert tell Gilbert's story, Gilbert's way. And uh, I appreciate uh, it, Joe. That was a lot of fun, brother. I mean, those bring back such great memories of Carl and, and yep. you know, my time with Chav and then coming back to Elk Camp and telling you guys these stories. Uh, I know Manano and them, them Venezuelan mafia boys, they just laugh and have oh, so much God, fun. Oh, God. They, they, they laugh. pretty animated. Them. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And so you got a little bit of a taste of our elk camp there, y'all. And uh, and there's more of that to come. So, uh, again, um, throw us an email. If you want to hear a little bit more of Ornelas Unleashed, then uh, send us an email at info uh, at elkrose.com and, and just say more Ornelas. And if you didn't <laughs> like that and you think all this is a waste of time and, and you'd rather learn a, a lot more stuff that uh, during that time, then just say, you know uh, – just send an info and say, Ornelas, uh, uh, you know, not so much. <laughs> right? yeah. Hey, look, Logan told me that I had to tell the bear story. He said, you got to get up and do your hands. He goes, I'm telling you, people are rolling the floor, Dad. Oh, they I got said, them. Logan, I said, I'm telling you, that was all true. I'm, I said, there ain't a word of that that I've embellished. That's, that's and look, definitely. I'm a fisherman and a hunter. I will embellish a little bit, but I'm telling you. <laughs> That was all straight up to truth, brother. <laughs> well, yeah, I've, I've heard your embellishing of that story, and there's a lot more to that, too. Oh, right? yeah, so, for sure. so let's go on now, and uh, we got a lot of uh, stuff from our – we got a lot of letters that came in. and um, our Elk Bros mailbox. Yes, sir. We're going to go to our Elk Bros mailbox, and we had to uh, – last week we had to kind of get off of it. We didn't have so much time. So in, in the lineup today, um, we got uh, Zach Reiswick from Idaho. We got Tim Curtis. Uh, uh, from West Virginia, Chip Nelson from Jamestown, New York, uh, Brian Atwood from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, Matt Felsbosch from uh, from Michigan, and Rich Strait from Lincoln, Nebraska. We've got you guys in the lineup. We're going to start heading down it if uh, we don't get to you because, uh, you know, uh, like one of our fellows said, you know, Zach actually sent me an email and said he loved the fact that we didn't get to his letter because he likes the way that we flesh out the questions and, and try to cover it. So that's our goal. We want to make sure everybody's learning. Um, again, like, uh, like Gilbert told you guys, our goal is to, to make you guys better elk hunters and, and, and doing that. So we're going to get started. So uh, Zach uh, Ricewick from Idaho um, his, his question was, what great wisdom can y'all impart on me in regards to late season cow hunts? <coughs> the biggest thing I'm wondering about is calling to them. As I've listened to the podcast, I've noticed it's mostly focused on archery hunting for bulls. Uh, a lot of what y'all have talked about translates easily into rifle hunting, which is what I'll be doing. Is calling a cow much different than calling a bull? I know cows are easier to find but are they as wary as bulls so Ooh. um you know uh, I'm, I'm gonna take a stab at this because you know i guide all year long and right. so i i do rifle hunts and and guys a lot of the reason that a lot of this tends towards a bow is we are a bow hunting group uh our, our elk bros group that doesn't mean everybody here uh doesn't hunt with the gun i guide uh, rifle sure. hunters all the time it Me just too. seems like to get that close, to get that personal with these critters takes a skill set that's incredible. And if we can teach that skill set to our rifle hunters, man, y'all are, y'all are in high cotton. So, um, uh, I, I want you to know, I, I also guide lake cow elk hunters. So, um, so here we go, Zach. What I'm going to tell you is that when it comes to calling the cows, especially late season, 
<coughs> that's not something that we use as a strategy. Um, now, do we use cow calls? Yes, we use them, but strictly to stop animals so that we can get a shot on that animal. Um, your goal in a late season cow hunt is to understand this. Uh, remember, like Gilbert always says, elk are a slave to their bellies. There's, there's three things that they need. They need uh, cover. They, they need, because they need to feel safe. They need food and they need water. And uh, when you're talking late season cow hunts, and you know that if it's November, if it's December, um, what you're doing is at that point in time, hopefully you have snow on the ground. But what you're looking for is you're looking for the best feed. That's what you're looking for. So you're trying to find those areas, and those cows are going to be in big, large groups. Uh, if it's November, they're still going to have some small bulls in with them, and those bulls at times will bugle. But to use your uh, to use bugles as a strategy to find those cows, not really. You, you're wanting to really uh, cover ground, find areas with the best feed. Really, if you have snow, you're looking for track. Um, you want to get on high points. And now your glasses, uh, those binos are, are, are critical. So um, a call, a cow elk call all year long. And if you're in a situation where you're getting close on them and you need to settle them down because they might have spotted or something like that, uh, or you're in a situation where there's a lot of cows and they're moving and you're trying to stop them so that you can get a good clean shot on them, then yes. Uh, you know they're easier to find, but are they as wary as bulls? I will tell you this. I actually think the cows are more wary than the bulls are. 100%. Uh, because yep. it's those lead cows that bust us most of the time. Mm. It's, they you know, they, yeah. there's always that century out there that's looking, man. And I, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I feel like if you find a big group of cows, it's even harder to get on the right one. You know, um, if you find a herd that's got 70, 80 head in it, mm -hmm. you get, you typically with a rifle, you got to make sure that they're clear, you know, of other other animals you know, the cows are not as big absolutely as and that's you, a huge point there gilbert yeah you'll get a general you'll get a pass through on a cow that you might not get with a big bull but you know you got to be careful i mean before you writing a check for two cows or you know a fine or whatever that may be I no mean, there you go make, and when they're in a big herd they're not wanting to single out so a lot of times you got to keep moving your position to you know get a single my son 10 he was 10 years old when he killed his first cow elk he killed it with carl gamage and Carl Gamage, I was there, uh, about died, keeping up with both him and Carl with my video camera. But my son was 10 years old, and Carl got him within 188 yards of about 175 head of elk. Uh, and it was a huge herd that was actually feeding towards us. The wind kind of got different, and then the snow started falling, and they turned. And when they all turned, they all turned together, and – he actually took a little tube and bugled one time and that stopped the herd from moving. They heard that little bugle would stop the herd from moving. And one cow just walked out in front right. of the rest of them and separated themselves. Joe. Right. And that's, that's really 
where we and he had to make a 188 yard shot. I mean, that's right. off of sticks for a young man. That's a heck of a shot. The front end or the back end of that herd where you're going right. to see the separation. Yep. And no, uh, it's hard. It's not easy. I, I'm telling you, I feel like it was harder to kill that cow than it was on some of the muzzleloader rifle hunts that I've been on uh, for bull elk. Now I will tell you, Zach, that. You know, for these animals, now these southern slopes, if there's snow, you know, you always hear us talking about feed stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But if there's snow, those southern slopes and those west slopes now become better areas because now they do get that uh, more sun and they they do get windswept and they get, you know, thinned out to where those animals can get to those. And uh, a great strategy for lake cows is if you can hit fresh track on them, get in behind on those animals and just start bird dogging that track. Um, You know, those animals are heading into the wind. So really helping you to be able to move up and get on those animals and, and look at their track. You know, if their track is meandering back and forth and they're covering a lot, you know, they're, they're going to be in a situation where they're, they're trying to scrape grass and they're moving and they're eating and they're moving and you can catch up to those critters if you, if you make your move right on that. So, um, that that's a that's a real good strategy right there but looking on those bare slopes they will even bed down on those southern slopes in those areas where there's not so much snow cover Catch that midday sunlight mm-hmm. yes sir yeah. yeah so um if uh good luck zach yeah let us zach. know let us know how you do hopefully we helped you a little bit yeah go get it buddy and uh put some put some meat in, in the freezer there uh uh, next question is from Tim Curtis from West Virginia. And Tim says, we hunt an OTC unit, over-the-counter unit in Idaho, that is not pressured very much due to lower elk numbers and wolves. The group mm-hmm. has killed an elk, and each year there has been an opportunity to do so, but it's tough because the elk just don't sound off very much. Question, what would you recommend for strategies when you hunt wolf-pressured areas where the elk seem to be silent? I'm sure more low-key calls are happening, but as far as bugles, we don't hear them very often at all. And uh, so what I tell people, Tim, with this is that those elk are still sounding off, but they're not going to sound off in the areas where it really, really carries. So they're, I, I think midday hunts up in the thick of the trees, and I'm trying to see um, – I'm not sure what time of the year that you're hunting this. Uh, so I, if I assume that this is a bow hunt in September and these animals are rutting, then being up in those trees in that midday hunt and you hunt like a wolf, you know, uh, you, you think about the fact that these animals are not, you know, they're going to move a lot more in, in wolf country because, uh, yeah, they're not going to stay someplace where they can catch up to them. So mm-hmm. they're constantly pushing their cows. They're constantly moving and eating and moving and eating. But when they get up into those trees, they are going to, because they have the trees to kind of muffle that sound, they're going to do some of those calls. And you got to listen for different calls. Like you said, you got to listen for those cow calls. You have to listen for those, uh, for, for the clunking. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and you got to listen for those chuckles, those lower level noises like you're talking about. But 
you know, uh, there's a lot of boys from Idaho. I mean, when you, if you go listen to uh, Michael Batiste, if you listen to <coughs> Corey Jacobson, those fellows all hunt in Idaho. And they are in areas where uh, those bulls do bugle. And, you know, they're going to bugle, but um, when there's a lot of pressure, just like if it's hunter pressure, they kind of move out of those areas. So a lot of times when you're not hearing them, that's because they've moved out, you know? Mm -hmm. um, here in New Mexico, if we have a cat that comes into an area, it will clear an area out. For fast. sure. Right, quick. Yeah. yeah. So my recommendation for you is you still hunt the way you hunt. Um, but what you need to do is uh, you need to move. You need to cover a lot of ground, Joe. You need to cover ground. You need to start hunting with your eyes, your nose, and your ears. So in other words, you're looking for sign. Um, yeah. You're smelling for There's those sign. animals. And, uh, you know, if you can get on some where they've been in the morning and follow them up into bedding areas, or if you start working those north-facing thick bedding areas, those north-northeast areas. And another huge thing that, you know, a good friend of mine says is, you know, especially when they're not being that vocal, hunt more with your eyes than you do with your feet. Get yep. at a higher elevation yep. and really glass those feed areas and those those mm -hmm. places where they come out of the bedding onto those hillsides and really use your binos and, and use your eyes to do more hunting than what you do with your feet. Now, you know, uh, you catch a sound or, or you see an animal and you know they're there, now you can go to work. Okay. You so, know, Joe, I, I hunted an area on the uh, very far eastern side of New Mexico, almost to Trinchera, Colorado, mm -hmm. up on that, uh, I guess they, it's like around Folsom. I forget what, Johnson's Mesa area, I think is what they call right, it. Right. <clears throat> the, every morning when we'd start out, we'd never start out just calling or walking or in. We'd go to the highest point and we'd sit up there and we'd watch. Uh, glass and see where those elk would come out down below us. And then that's where we'd form a plan, which way the wind was going, stuff like that. And we were, we were rifle hunting. Right. And we'd form a plan of how to get around on those. And they, he knew where those, those elk were going to go uh, to their feeding areas and to their bedding areas. Then we'd formed a plan on how to go cut them off. And uh, I thought that was uh, it's something I'd never done before. And uh, I thought that was a, a really interesting way to get above them, you see them, you know where they're at, and then you make a plan on um, going down, you know, get down below them and, and go get them, you know. Sure. So it was, a, we, you know, we used a, a vehicle. Uh, some guys use a horse. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it was, uh, we used a vehicle to get around the backside of them, but we were up on top of this big mesa looking down, and, I mean, it was unbelievable. Well, we spent two hours every morning glassing. Well, I, I think Tim has a huge advantage here because it's an area that that they have hunted before. So you should really know where those vantage points are. You should know those areas where um, you have seen elk before. So you have the ability to, you know, really use your binos to scope those areas out in your first few days, um, locate them, and, and then, like Gilbert says, formulate a plan and go in and hunt them. You don't have to scream at elk to get elk to come in once you That's know right. where they're at and you get there 
If you start using the, you know, think about the environment. What are they doing? If they're not screaming, you shouldn't be screaming. That means that you're using those cow calls. That means you're using those low guttural noises, that you're using the chuckles, that you're using the glunking, that you're using the panting and those types of things. And my number one most expensive call that you can use, raking a tree. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, th- that uh, that call right there is perfect, man. You know, you know, Joe, for me, if I can see them, mm-hmm. I don't even necessarily, unless I want to position them or do change something about the herd, I'm not saying a word. If I can get in there on them, get between a bull and a cow, or if I can make cut a, cut no, a group of cows off, right, right. I'm not saying anything. Because, right. you know, depending on whether they're talking or not, I mean, uh, you know, if I can get between a bull and cows, it's over. Well, pretty I mean, much what I'm, what I'm, the scenario I'm seeing, Gilbert, is if you're at a high vantage point and you see animals down there and by the town, you, you get down there, they're heading up. Mm-hmm. Well, now mm-hmm. you can follow them up into their bedding area. And now, and when you follow elk up into their bedding area, do not follow behind them. Right. Get to the side get, hill. Yeah. You want to get mm-hmm. on the side of them, paralleling them. That's right. And, and with the wind, you know, coming from the animals to you, preferably, Mm -hmm. but you want to try to stay as much to the level as you can. And it's going to be hard to do because they're hard to keep up with. Well, in that country in Idaho is big gorges and stuff too. You know, it's not, it's not flatland country. Uh, I know that stuff's tough, mountainous country. And, uh, you know, I wish, I wish you all the best of luck, brother. That's, uh, seems like the wolves and everything, I'm sure I wish y'all the best. That's, that's a tough deal when you got to deal with wolves and grizzly bears or something. And it like is. That. But when you, if, if you find some going up in there, look at your onyx and look yeah. for benches yes. that are happening on those topo areas, because that's yeah. a good, especially any benches that are about two thirds away up the hill or a third down from the top of the hill. Those with are water. Areas. If they got water. That's even better. Yeah. For you to be off of those animals and after they bed, and then around, you know, anywhere between 11 and 1 o'clock, start using low sound, start sending low guttural noise, start using raking, and try to bring that bull into you, okay? Good uh, luck, Tim. Bull calling. Good luck, Tim, with that. Let us know how you do, Tim. We, we uh, definitely want to have a follow-up with some of you guys. Chip Nelson from Jamestown, New York. I've been... DIY archery elk for eight seasons. Called in and had my buddies tag out. Awesome, bro. I hear there are a lot of folks hunting my unit this year, but guessing it can't be more than Colorado. Um, I've also heard it's tough to find a place to get back in away from folks. There's a lot of four-wheeler traffic. Any thoughts on style of hunting? I should focus on more in that unit than another. Going in September 15th. Okay, so September 15th, as far as I'm concerned, is just, it's, it's prime, man. So Wide open. Yeah. Where Those is he animals, hunting, Joe? I mean, is he hunting I believe in Colorado? He's hunting he in, hunting? No, I think he's hunting in New Mexico because oh. he's saying that, uh, that there's not as much. Um, in fact, I'm going to kind of see if I can uh, pull up his, his letter here real quick to make sure. Because I tried to leave some of the... Uh, I tried to yeah. leave some of the stuff out of there. <laughs> yeah. So so we ain't giving his hunting area away. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, sure. I didn't want to be. Uh, we do uh, some of that too. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. So he's actually hunting in New Mexico. And, okay. Uh, 
and he says that there's a lot of four-wheeler traffic and so he's saying any thoughts on style of hunting and I, i'll tell you this uh first of all chip uh and on that 15th yeah it's a great time to be out in the woods as far as atv traffic uh, I really don't worry about it, man. Where we hunt, we get all kinds of ATV traffic. Ain't that right, Gilbert? Oh my gosh! And yes. uh, it, it, I, I don't worry about other hunters necessarily because a lot of those guys are really going to stay to to that. You know, we use ATVs quite a bit, <laughs> but we use them to be able to get to a location. Uh, so that we can get on our feet and hunt from there. Um, it, yeah, but we'll put we'll we'll drive a couple of miles and put six on our feet. You that's know? right. So a lot it, of guys will be on their bike, hit a bugle, listen, nothing, boom, they keep right on rolling, right? Right. Whereas, you know, if, if you move on your feet, you're gonna hear a whole lot more, especially I, I think, if you can get away from the sounds of it. I think the big key to that, man, is is. Uh, again, we're huge on being out there a couple of hours before daylight. So if you've done any night bugling and you've located, and that's huge, that's huge, Chip. Get out there. Um, Early. Be the last one out of the woods. And when you're coming out, you know, take your time. If it gets dark on you, now listen for some of those bulls that might be sounding off right after dark. Yep. Uh, I'm not telling you start calling to them. You don't want You just want to hear and Location. look where they're at. Mark it, you know, put it down on that Onyx on, on your GPS, and you want to be there two hours before daylight the next day. Yep. Um, where I know where you're hunting because I've hunted that area, and I have been on multiple bulls within a half mile of ATV trails there that other people were driving by and never even heard the animals. So, and a lot of times I'm on them before those animals even get on them. So, um, you don't let that bother you, Chip. Yeah. And don't worry about calling. Don't worry about calling in another hunter. Um, do your thing, but make sure you utilize, um, those couple of hours before daylight, Make sure you utilize, if you end up having a full moon at a night, uh, that you're out there calling at night and locating. Yeah, you're going to miss some normal night sleep, but get out there and hunt those boogers. First Can't thing kill in the them morning. laying in bed. Yeah, and then when they go in bed, you find a place, take that little nap, that mid-morning. Yeah. Oh, there's no better sleep, man, than yeah. how to it's now it's a little weird sometimes when you wake up and you're like, where the heck am I? <laughs> you know, for a couple of seconds. Right. But it's great sleep. And and I'm one that likes to hunt elk the way elk are. So when when they're eating, I want to be where they're at when they're eating. When they're sleeping, I'm going to sleep. You know, when they're being active, I want to be there when they're being active. So right you know, just think about that. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it can be tough at times, but maybe every third day you need to like sleep in and do something a little different. But, uh, I'm telling you, fella, don't worry about the four wheeler traffic. Um, mm, September 15th is going to be wide open, brother. You ain't been a few days from the equinox. It's, yeah. and, it's going to be wide open. I, I, uh, I tell you, you know, don't necessarily dive off where everybody else does find locations in between there where you can park your bike and you can dive off and uh, go down into some areas and, and just be that early bird. Okay. That that's, that's the biggest thing that I'm going to tell you about that. Um, Let us know how it goes, Chip. We want to see a picture. 
So I think this last one um, is going to, I think the last one we're going to handle today, Gilbert's going to be uh-huh. Brian, Brian Atwood out of Albuquerque. Hey, Burke. All right, man. All right. Glad New Mexican in the house. New Mexican in the house. And, and then Matt, you have, um, I broke your question. Matt's, uh, he's a 27 year old from Michigan and this boy's a, uh, He's another Carl Gamage dude. He shoots Ooh, oh, and man after his own heart. Yes, sir. And so, Matt, I've broken yours down into four separate parts, and then we have Rich Strait from Lincoln, Nebraska. So you guys will be first on our list on our next mailbox. We'll hit that. And uh, uh, I'm there's only one thing I'm gonna hit on Matt before you know we get here. But let's let's go do Brian. Sure. Uh, Brian's question was, he said. Uh, he said he was curious about – that's so funny. We just got done talking about this. He says, we're curious about your technique for locating elk in the dark. I believe I heard Gilbert say something along the lines of driving around on a UTV and doing location bugles. Is this a technique you use and or is this effective? If so, is it only used during rut or all seasons, bow, rifle, uh, muzzleloader? So, um, now – when you're going to do any night bugling, uh, I would tell you the best thing is to either do it when you're coming out of your hunt because you're coming out in the dark. I mean, we're, we don't worry about coming into camp two hours late, you know, uh, but. Uh, you might have cold dinner, but it, you'll have to warm it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would do it either in a UTV or a truck because they're super quiet. You get out there in a four-wheeler and, and those elk hear that thing all over the place and, and uh, it'll keep them quiet. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great thing to do if you're having to locate at night. I really uh, most of the time have an idea because we've set up our plan where in multiple areas. Uh, so I like to be out two hours before daylight and locate them then in the spot that I'm in. If we're not finding them, well, yeah, then you go locate them at night. I've even gone as far to locate them at night and stay with them till morning. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you can, you know, you can talk to different guys. Depends on your area. You can do anything from two miles to four miles to six miles. And, and there's guys that do it up in Colorado and in Idaho and different places. They'll drive 20 miles in their truck just sure. to call into a different basin to see if anything is uh, is giving them a yell out there. Yep. So the whole thing, the whole idea of what we're talking about is, is to basically find high areas um, where you can uh, call into any kind of basin of some kind. Now, we're not really, really steep where we hunt, right, Gilbert? We, but... No, not not necessarily. I mean, you know, ten thousand feet, probably the top top <laughs> part of where we at, and then down at the bottom is probably seventy five, eight thousand. You know? Yeah, so, so it's not. I mean, it's not thirteen, fourteen thousand feet like some of those Colorado boys hunt. But we try to find a ridge where we can call out over an area so yeah. that we know that call is carrying. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a location bugle. Uh, and all we're listening for is for something to call back to us down there. And once that happens, we're, we're not trying to play with it and start that animal trying to get them to come into us. We no. just want to locate where that sounds. No, and we actually use our UTVs in the morning time. I mean, the morning I killed my big bull, we cut the UTV off, 
I, we, I put my backpack on, grabbed my bugle, and woo, I let one out. And man, I'm telling you, it's like a sea of them. I'm like, oh my, I looked at Chab and I'm like, oh my gosh. So we were like, which way do we go? You know, uh, the herds in front of us, we have 40 bikes just past us, you know? Right. So we just sat right there. I, we didn't know which way to go. Right. So we just sat right there and I kind of yeah, real loud with my bugle tube. I actually used the tube to project that, that cow call. So it gets a little deeper out there and man, that bull, it lit up in front of us. We went to him. And he was already gone by the time we got to him. And he was probably a two and a half mile, three mile walk, gone. But what happened was the perfect storm happened and there was another herd coming to us and it just, it blew up in the middle of us, right? Right, so, right. You know, when you use your UTV to, to actually, we stopped and we were deciding we were going to hunt there and we heard another bull blow up up above us. So we just used the UTV to get it to the top. Right, you know, and, and, and cut it under, off. Understand those if, uh, those UTVs are really, really quiet. They are. You know, he's got it designed so it's just like a truck. It can move around real quiet, and uh, and it's a good deal to be in at night. It's a good one to be in in the morning. So, mm -hmm. um, it's basically just moving from area to area, and you don't want to if you're in a truck, you don't want to uh, get out there and then you know, turn the truck off, open the door, shut the door, because yeah. if there's animals around there, they hear all that. Just call outside your, your window or from the UTV when you're doing that after you turn it off and, and listen for any responses. And, and I tell you, guys that are with you, man, I tell you, when I give a call and guys start opening zippers or drinking stuff or eating something, man, they get a look from me because <laughs> that, Joe can't hear anyway. So if that, he's hearing that, it, it's loud. <laughs> that, that ain't the time to be doing that stuff. You're supposed to be listening. So yeah. that, that, that's real critical. We get a lesson 101 real quick. And, sure. <laughs> you know, as far as only during the rut, um, not necessarily. Well, so, Bulls will be sounding off. There, there's different ruts. You got, you got the the pre-rut. You got the the uh, peak rut. You got the post-rut. And some of these animals will even be bugling up into uh, November. But uh, there's a certain time when I, I'd say up until the end of October, you can bugle and get responses from elk. Uh, oh, yeah. You can use location bugles and get responses. After that time, when you start getting into those later seasons like that, that is not a strategy I would use. I would, mm -hmm. I could use it to stop one or something like that, but uh, uh, that's not what I'm trying to do with that. Okay, so it's mostly going to be uh, bow muzzle loader, or if it's an early rifle season, that's October 1st through October 15th, because you know. By about October 8th, those uh, mature bulls are splitting off, but those smaller bulls are coming in, and some of them are good bulls, man. man and and they think, oh, now I'm the big dog on campus, and they're screaming, and and uh, they're they're still doing, they're still testing their voices. So um, it's still a good time. Okay, you, you uh, know, Joe, the unbelievable time to be in the woods. I have had so many times you and I have actually either we used a bike or we didn't we walked out of camp but we'd walk a couple hours and it's dark i mean pitch dark right and we lay down in the pine straw and let, let out a couple, calm down let every comp thing calm down and that's just you and the stars and the 
sounds of the woods and Mm -hmm. then you let out a little bugle or a little cow call and man the woods come alive right i mean if there is a bull and it's that time of year guys and he hears a cow call nine times out of ten you're going to get a response and when it when you do you gotta you gotta understand that if it's two hours before light you just need to know where he was at and then formulate your plan with the wind to get in there with him. And if he keeps, keeps it up, that's when you know it's on, right? right. He'll, a lot of times he'll, he'll hit it again. And five minutes later, he'll hit it again. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And we've only did it once. Right. But the bull keeps telling you what's going on. So yeah, it's the coolest right. time in the world to be in the woods. That, you that definitely time. are taking the temperature of that animal and reading that animal as to what, yeah. let him dictate what you're going to do. Okay. Amen. All right, I'm so, like a kid in a candy store when that stuff's ready to roll, man. Brian, I, I, I'm I sorry, it. Gilbert. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Go ahead, brother. Uh, Brian, I hope we I hope we answered your question. Good luck, bro, and and let us know uh, with that. And then um, we're going to end there, except for Matt. There's just one thing. Um, uh, I, I see your setup on your arrows, uh, man. You shoot heavy arrows. I really like that. I like the penetration deal. But your first question says that you're heading out to utah this year um with your longbow in hopes to get any type of elk a cow spike bull um so the only thing i want to tell you is i'm not going to answer your question yet we've got broken down into four we're going to do it next time but there's one thought i want to leave you and all of our listeners with is that you said you're heading out to utah this year with your longbow in hopes of getting any type of elk (laughs) and and i can tell you dude uh to me a hope is like a wish and yeah, like my dad used to say all the time you can wish in one hand and crap in the other and see which fills up first so right. uh i want you to go back and listen to our confidence series at the very beginning because buddy i, I and and I, i'm not i'm not picking on you or anything like that what i want to do though is i want to change that mentality i want to find out where your areas of of possible failure are, change that. And I want to change that hope into a confidence, you know, that, uh, that you're going to go into the woods knowing that you can, you can take uh, an elk this year. And because you have all the things ready to go. Uh, I want to change that hope from, from a prayer into a, into an action. And uh, we want to change that from from a wish to an action. So that's the first thing I want you thinking about before we get to you uh, on on this next one and we answer your questions. But because uh, I tell you, you're 27, full of piss and vinegar. You're shooting that stick bow. Um, (coughs) Buddy, uh, you know, uh, you can make it happen, and we want to try to help you make that happen. All right? So, Gilbert, uh, we got to – do a little Gilbert Unleashed, and we got to answer some of the mailbox. We'll hit it back again next time, and, and we'll let uh, we'll have a topic for the next time when we get there. And uh, if you can go ahead and close us out, but You bet, guys. What a great show, Joe, uh, to be able to go to Gilbert or Ornellis Unleashed, right, and <laughs> drop a few of, uh, of our stories on our viewers, answer some questions. Again, guys, please rate us. Uh, go to our podcast. And uh, give us that five-star rating, if you will. 
Uh, that's how we kind of grade ourselves. If you have any other questions, please go to info at elkbros.com. That's info at elkbros.com. Please leave us our quest- your questions, and we'll be glad to answer them and get you on the show here uh, next week. Matt, we can't wait to start the show off next week uh, with your question and, uh, and, and do some fellowship again with all our listeners. We want to thank everybody out there. For Joe in New Mexico, I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of the show. And, you know, Chad, wherever you're at on vacation, we wish you safe travels back, brother. But from uh, Joe in New Mexico, Gilbert right here in Houston, Texas, we want to wish all of you God's blessings. Wives, kiss your husbands. Husband, kiss your wives. Hug your babies. Make sure you keep your broadhead sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Guys, have a good one. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.